Wow, church, that was awesome, wasn't it? Is God on the move? Is he working among us? Is he leading people to himself? Amen to what God is doing. I'm just so excited. It's like every week there is something going on that God is working behind the scenes to do something in somebody's life. And we get to come together on Sunday and say, yes, God, we see and we praise you for what you're doing. If you're new here, uh, my name is Shane. I'm a newer pastor here. Is this yours, Lacey? Don't want you to lose that. Um, and uh, I've just, it's been such a privilege to serve the saints here. Uh, we've been going through our new series. We just started last week and we're calling it Scope. What is the scope of our church's mission? What is the scope of our church's mission? We know out of the Great Commission, the Bible calls for us as the church to be a church that makes disciples. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded. Okay, so that's the scope of our church. That's how we make disciples then. We have to figure out what does the scripture say as far as how the church makes disciples. And so we're a church that is all about God's word, amen? And God's word in the scriptures, in the Bible, the 66 books that we have in the scriptures, um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we are a church that centers our teaching, not just on making us good people or how to live life better, but to be a people who know God from his own word. That's what we wanna be a church about. And so we're unpacking scripture right now. We're gonna get to community, how we make disciples through community. How do we make disciples through outreach to the community uh, and outreach to our local neighborhoods? And then we're gonna talk about how do we make disciples through praise like we just got done doing. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about how do we share our faith and make disciples that way through evangelism. So that's our roadmap probably through the fall. And we are in scripture. Last week, I compared the word of God to a sword, right? Hey, check this out. I said I didn't, I didn't have a real sword. And Clint came through for me. He said, hey, I got a real sword that you can show up there. So um, I gave him a call up. He said, you got to hold up that real sword, right? So we got a real sword here. And a lot of people, when we use scripture, when we use scripture, we use it in a lot of different ways today, right? Sometimes we use scripture to affirm what we want. A lot of times people use scripture to have their political views affirmed and those kinds of things. And we got all these many people using scripture in a way that suits them. But I'll tell you, when you use a sword to cut butter and put it on your toast, that's going to be kind of awkward, isn't it? You guys should be worried that Pastor Shane's going to cut himself with this thing, right? And it wouldn't be a very good use of this sword to try to dig a hole. You certainly could try to dig a hole. This is fun, whirling this thing around. You could try to dig a hole with a sword, but it wouldn't be a very good or effective use of that sword, correct? Right? There's a lot of things. You could try to cut hair, but that would be kind of dangerous. Um, But the appropriate use for a sword, right, is for battle. And many of us the scriptures were used, are the reason for the scriptures, the reason that God gives us his word. He's orchestrated human history to illustrate who he is. And then he's orchestrated men to communicate perfectly who he is. And they wrote those things down so that we have them today so that we might know God. 
so that we might know God. The purpose of the scriptures is to know God, to know God, our father, and he's a good father. By the way, I was thinking about this on uh, Father's Day. Every good dad should be all about getting an age-appropriate sword for his kids. And I'm not talking about a physical sword, although that's pretty okay, but I'm talking about a Bible, right? Dads should be all about discipling their family and their kids on the scriptures. And so we, last week, we tore it apart. We looked at the structure of scripture. We looked at how God reveals himself to us through Jesus. We know that Jesus is the perfect image of who God is in a way that we can digest and understand. And then the scriptures are the perfect way for us to get to know who Jesus is. So the direct path, if you've ever wondered, who is God? I know that there's a higher power, but I need to know how to get to know him. He gave us and preserved his word so that we might know him. And we talked about how Jesus is the uncontested hero of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the whole Bible last week we learned is about who? It's not about us. We're not the main character of this story of history, are we? Jesus, all of history, the climax of history was the cross of Christ and his victory over sin on our behalf. So Jesus is the centerpiece of all of the scriptures. It is no longer a book of do's and don'ts. It's a story and it is a love letter by God about who Jesus is. And so um, I wanna kind of pick up today with this idea that the Bible is called the canon of Scripture. Everybody say canon with me, canon. Um, so the canon of Scripture, we call it a canon. Canon, literally, the reason they call it a canon is because it is like a measuring rod. They call it a measuring rod. Well, I didn't have a measuring rod, but I do have a measuring tape, okay? And how many, a good contractor or somebody who's building something should probably have one of these? Why? because they can make it in a way that is going to be functional, right? It's not gonna be awkward or off base. Well, for us, we build our faith around the scriptures and we test all truth by the measuring rod of scriptures. So the idea of the canon is that all truth claims should be measured by the Bible. All truth claims should be measured by the Bible. And so when we look at the Bible and we know that there's a lot of truth claims today, yes? There's a lot of people that say, you come to me because I'll tell you how the world really works. Some of you might be those folks, right? But ultimately, the measure of truth, the measure of existence comes to us through God's word. It is to be the measure of truth. For many of us, um, we like to, when it comes to the Bible, I've heard this. Well, Shane, I just have faith. I just have faith and I trust that God exists. I don't, sometimes I wonder if I need to read the Bible or not, or I just even, I don't even know if I have to look into how accurate the Bible is. And I want, I want to give you this caveat today. Faith is not an excuse for naivety, but should be a motivator to identify what we already know to be true. Okay, so faith shouldn't keep you from pursuing God and finding his truths to be true. But instead, faith should be a motivator for you to jump into and start seeking out the truth that God has for us. And so with that, I wanna ask, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that the Bible is true? Well, we take it on faith, right? But we shouldn't let that faith just stop there. Should we investigate the accuracy of the scriptures? Well, we know they're true, so we know we're gonna dis discover what? Their accuracy, 
right? We know. And so today I want to pull back, how did we get the Bible and what is the Bible? See, there's a lot of religious writings today. I brought up Mormons last week. They have religious writings from Joseph Smith, correct? And they would say that these are from God, but are they? How do we know? They would say they take it on faith. Well, we say we take ours on faith. So that makes everything kind of subjective, doesn't it? And so there's a sense in, in our conversations with people, we need to know why we can trust the Bible. Why can we trust the Bible? Islam has its own religious writings. Confucianists have their sayings. Hindus have religious writings. How is it that we objectively show that the scriptures are different than every one of those writings? And did you guys know that we can do that today? It's pretty awesome. We're gonna jump into that. Um, if we become a people who know the words of God, then there is a power there. I want you to, uh, if you got your Bibles, then go ahead and turn to the book of John. Turn to the book of John. And we need to know the voice of God. We need to know that we know the voice of God because there are a lot of voices today. John 10, 25 through 28 says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep, get this church, what does he say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so for us, a motivator for us to get to know the word of God is this, that we're the sheep of the Lord. We know his voice. What is his voice? What is his word? The scriptures. So let's ask the question, how was the Bible? And man, I forgot to grab mine. I got so excited about baptism. Somebody, can you run me up a Bible? I just want to have a good uh, Bible to hold up. Randy's going to give me his. Ooh, I get to see Randy's notes. I'm excited, okay? So how was this whole Bible put together? And then uh, how can we know that it's true? There's this incredible thing today that we have called textual criticism. We can be more sure of the accuracy of the Bible, that we have the exact teachings of the apostles from the early church that they wrote down and that the early church had. We have the very teachings of the early apostles. You know how we know that? this thing called textual criticism. Don't get scared when you hear the word criticism, okay? Textual criticism is a lot like this. If I were to write a letter today, if I were to write a letter and I passed it around to each one of you and said, make a copy, okay? And then we hid the original. How close do you think we could get to the original if we compared every copy? How close do you think we could get? Okay, so studies when this is done, we find out that you can get to a 99.9% .9 accuracy rate to the original document. As you know, we don't have the original manuscripts that were written down, but we do have thousands of copies today from all different archeological sites all over the world. And when we compare those thousands of copies of the original text, we put those together and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have the same writings and teachings of the apostles. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that we can show that the Bible is accurate and true to the original teachings of the apostles? Well, that's been more of a recent discovery as we think about um, early translations that we have in English, and we're going to get into translations here in a minute. 
Um, but like the King James Version had eight different manuscripts. We have thousands of manuscripts today, so we can compare. And so many of your Bibles, you'll maybe notice that there's these different bracketed pieces. We talked about this in the book of Mark, like the end of the book of Mark. If you turn to the book of Mark, look at the very end of the book of Mark. And if you look, there's a bracketed part there, right? Um, the reason it's bracketed in the by baseline of your Bible, it should say, not in the earliest manuscripts. That means that we've had thousands of manuscripts discovered and the earliest manuscripts that we have do not have the latter part of Mark. And that's why it's bracketed out, okay? We know beyond a shadow of a doubt if there were anything added to the Bible throughout the history of the Bible, we know exactly what was added. And we know what was original to the original text. Isn't that amazing? By the way, there's no other religious text that can say with such great accuracy. Because we have thousands of manuscripts, we can say that we have the original version of what the apostles taught. We know throughout history, it stands to wonder it would be easier. Addition is easier than subtraction. And so it would be easier throughout all time if the Bible was altered. By the way, this is one of the big critiques when you share faith. How do we know that the Bible wasn't altered? Well, we do. We know when and we know where were things were added and we know what was the original text. And because of these guys that copied over and over, we have thousands of these different manuscripts. Addition, so it would have been easier throughout history to add something then subtract something. Because if you look throughout history and a scribe was writing a note, like you ever made notes in the margin of your Bible? And somebody was scribing the Bible or writing it down and they made a note and then accidentally over time that was then copied and that was copied. And then, so then that note became a part of the passage. There are a few of those that happened. And so again, everywhere in your Bible, you need to take note if there's a bracketed version there. That, and it's, by the way, it's only a handful of passages. It's only a handful of passages. None of them affect the core belief of Christianity or the orthodoxy of Christianity. And so how can we know that this is accurate? Well, we have all of those manuscripts to compare, and we have a, a great, a 99.9% .9 assurance scientifically, not just faith, but scientifically proven that we have the original teachings. There's just a handful of passages that are not, uh, by the way, they're not secret so like other religious texts, they, they kind of say, hey, like I'm thinking of um, the Quran, and they, they say, we've got to take these on faith. This is what we have. It hasn't been altered. Well, how can we show that? How can we see that? Well, you can see that with the scriptures, and so we can know. Uh, just a handful of passages then are, uh, are questionable in scripture, are bracketed, because they weren't in the earliest manuscripts. In fact, um, they're always marked in your Bible, so it's not a secret. It's not a secret. This is good for us. You guys doing okay? Again, I'm telling you, I'm doing a lot of teaching in this series. I'm more of a preacher. You know what I'm saying? So bear with me on this. But um, so a couple of those, end of Mark, um, John 7, the woman caught in adultery, that's actually a bracketed passage. The woman caught in adultery is a bracketed passages that we think was added maybe later. Why would we still teach that today? Well, it's still good to teach that and be aware of that because it's not unlike the character of the rest of Scripture. But we shouldn't take the character of Jesus and base it on a passage that wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. Does that make sense? Because we want the truest and most accurate picture of who Jesus is. Um, so how was this all put together? Uh, let's so talk about canon really quick. 
All other truth claims are to be measured by the Bible. The Bible is the court of highest authority. For the believer, this is the court of highest authority, proven to be true. So we wanna, we wanna ask then, how is it all put together? Well, in the early church, there were all of these churches starting to spring up and you have writings from the apostles and the apostles' teachings. If you remember, we read in the book of Acts, what did they devote themselves to? To the apostles' teachings, right? To the apostles' teachings. So the churches would base themselves out of the apostles' teachings. And at that time, it was nice because the apostles were still alive. Some of them would then be martyred. We know we have John who lived the longest out of uh, the apostles, so how did they put these together in the early church? Well, conformity, did the book, so when we talk about the New Testament in particular, did the book submit to Christian truths, normative in the churches? And so was this a normative book or letter in the New Testament that was accepted by all of the churches? Because you remember, it was still within the lifespan of the apostles. And so they were still touring around and teaching in the churches. And so these were all accepted as normative in the churches or orthodoxy. So we call that conformity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably butcher saying some of these. Apostolicity was the writer of the book then, was the writer an apostle or connected to an apostle? Because remember, it was about the apostles' teachings, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And so the New Testament that we have has to be connected in one way or another to an apostle. You guys remember what, how do we define an apostle? The word apostle means sent, or sent one. That means literally they had to have come in contact with Jesus physically, who then sent them out as an apostle, who put that um, on them. And I call that uppercase apostle, or uppercase A apostle. Um, so Catholicity is, did the book have widespread or continuous acceptance and usage by the churches everywhere? And then also I add this one, was it self-authenticating? Did it have an obvious sense of authority and power um, as you read it? Um, so that one is a little harder because it was, uh, but it would be paired with uh, Catholicity, connection to an apostle or conformity. Um, how are we doing? You guys doing okay? This is how we got the Bible. Have you heard this before? When I, I went back and forth on whether or not we should spend this much time on canon and how we got the Bible. Um, and it was just like, God was like, man, we need to know in today's world why we can trust the Bible. Um, so different translations. The, the cool thing at the end of that um, for canon, how they're recognizing, canon didn't necessarily um, make up the books or um, they identified what was already being used for later generations. Aren't you guys thankful? So they basically identified, they didn't just recognize, but they identified what was already being used by the churches as the word of God. And the whole church eventually recognized the same 27 books unanimously. Isn't that a miracle? You ever tried to get a bunch of Christians in a room to agree on something, much less 27 somethings? That's pretty magnificent that the Holy Spirit moved in such a way that they recognize the same 27 books. Here's why we can know that what we have then um, is true and is right for, for the Christian, for believers to study and to know God. Let's talk about translations for a minute. How many of you have ever looked at the side of your Bibles and you're like, three letters, what does that mean? I've got NLT, I got an NIV, I got an ASB, I got, a, you got, I got the alphabet on the side of my... Bible, you ever wondered what those were? Um, well, let, what's the deal with translations? 
For centuries, there were only Greek and Latin versions of the Bible. Any of you speak Greek or Latin fluently? Anybody? So here was the problem with the, the church in the medieval era is there were only a select few who could read Greek or Latin, and so they were the only ones who had access to the Word of God. They couldn't read it for themselves. Would it be really easy for a human being who's like, hey, I read the Bible for you. Let me tell you what it says to get it wrong. This is yes. It would be really easy for humanity, right, to, to interpret the Bible for you. Here's where I'm trying to tell you today an encouragement. Don't let anybody else interpret the word of God for you in your stead. By the way, as your pastor, I hope you check everything I say by the word of God. And if ever I'm wrong, please tell me, I'm gonna be humbled and rejoice at you coming and saying, hey, Shane, what you said was wrong. And I'm gonna look and I'm gonna be like, is, is it wrong? Because I don't, by the way, teachers in scripture are held to a higher account. If you teach the word of God and you make it your opinion and you teach something that's from you and not from God, I believe the Bible tells us that you're going to be held to a higher account. And so that's why, brothers and sisters, we gotta be really careful not to let other people just interpret scripture for us. This is a problem in our culture because of what we call the celebrity pastor culture, don't we? Everybody has their celebrity pastor who's gonna tell them how to interpret scripture. I bet you as I'm looking across, some of you are like, yeah, man, I have my guy. It's John Piper, it's John MacArthur, it's all of these guys. You know, maybe it's Bill Johnson, maybe it's, you know, all of these guys. I got my guy who's interprets scripture for me. I was like, they're dudes, they're guys, they're humans. I gotta stop saying dudes, I'm not a youth pastor anymore. They're humans, and so according to scriptures, you don't have a need to somebody to teach over you. You have access to God himself through these scriptures. It's, I, did you know it's my goal as a part of my job to put myself out of a job that I would train you up to have such access and such, such a, a, a way with the word of God that you wouldn't need somebody else. You don't need pastors to stand up and say, here's what the word of God says. You'd be like, thanks pastor, I know. And then I can be like, awesome, you're equipped, now go. That's the goal. I got to put myself out of a job. You're not going to hear that from a lot of pastors, but it should be our goal. So translations. For centuries, there were only Greek and Latin versions. So a select few had access to God's word. Well, many men died. This is part of the Reformation 500 years ago. A big push of the Reformation was to give the access to the word of God to everybody, every man. And so you get this big push by guys like William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Wycliffe. They all give their lives um, in order to make sure that everybody has access to the word of God. By the way, many gave their life, gave their very life as a martyr so that you could hold the word of God in your own language. I just think about that. How flippantly do we care for these things? Our generation has more access to the word of God than any other generation before us. How is it that we're like the least adept at using God's word? Isn't that interesting? So um, men gave their lives so that we could have it in English and understand it. One of the pushes, this is the big push of the Protestant Reformation. Today, part of the Bible has been translated into at least 2,454 languages parts of it in languages. One of, the, one of the, the Testaments, at least 1,168 languages. The whole Bible, 438 languages. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You think about how nice it is to open it up and understand the Word of God. So what's the deal with the different types of 
translations, and the question would be, what translation should I use? And you're going to hear this from me. Use all of them. Use all of them. Don't just plant yourself in a single translation because you need to remember that there's different types of translations. And here I'm going to go through you. There's really three basic kinds of translations. And I want you to think about, any of, any of you ever used Google Translate when you're talking to somebody in Spanish? You ever just typed in word for word in the English, the phrase that you want to say? And then how does it come out in the Spanish? And then bring it back into the English, and then you're really messed up because your sentence structure is wrong. You begin to talk like Yoda, right? Well, translation is a little bit like that. And so there's different things that they have to balance in order to bring the word of God into the English language um, because there are certain intricacies in Greek and in Hebrew and Aramaic that, that don't translate well into English. And so for us, what, what tends to happen is you have, number one, a word-for-word -word type translation. So the translator says, I want to be as accurate as I possibly can to the original wording of the apostles. And here are the different translations that would be like that. If you have an ESV, if you have a KJV, uh, a NASB, NASB, uh, NKJV, these are all, their goal is word for word. We want to get the most accurate word for word translation out of the Greek into the English. And for us, that's important because that means higher accuracy. But have any of you tried to sit down and read in a sitting, the NASB Bible? How many of you would speak like what you read in the NASB Bible? No, sentence structure is like opposite, right? And sometimes it's really hard to understand because things seem kind of mixed up. Well, that's word for word translation. Their bent is accuracy. They want to be as accurate as they can to the word of God. And so it can be really hard to read and understand that way in modern English. How many of you still speak with the these and the thous? Anybody still no, none of us speak like that anymore, right? And so that's the word-for-word -word translation, but then we also have thought-for-thought -thought translations. A couple of examples of a thought-for-thought -thought translation is like the NIV, the NLT, or the CEV. And so here's my recommendation. If you're reading a King James Version of the Bible and you're having a really hard time understanding what you're reading, I would say, hey, would you step down and, and pair it with like an NLT or an NIV that would help you read it and understand it in, in modern English. So it's going to put it in a way that, that we talk today, so it's going to be easier to understand. And the idea is not word-for-word -word accuracy, but it's to, to bring the thought-for-thought -thought accuracy, meaning that the, the idea of the sentence is communicated clearly, but in a sentence structure that you and I can understand, Okay. You guys doing okay? I'm, I'm just keep checking because I want to make sure nobody falls asleep here, okay? Anybody's brain hurt yet? Okay, hang on there. So then we have the paraphrased versions. Now, a lot of pastors will kind of jokingly say you should never use these. So this is like the message version of the Bible. I'm not going to be that guy because I've had some luck where I sit down and somebody has a, uh, has a really hard time understanding. And so they need a summary for better understanding. That's a paraphrased version, like the message version of the Bible. It's more of a summary. So it just takes the whole thought and kind of puts it in its own words to help us understand what the intention was. Now, as you go from word for word, it's going to be the most accurate to the original manuscripts, correct? You get from thought to thought, you're going to get further away from accuracy, right? And then as you get to paraphrased, you're getting even further away from exactly how it was written, 
Does that make sense? So here's where I would say, use all three. Use different translations of the Bible. Don't get committed. Like I've seen some denominations have camps where it's like, we're an ESV only. And I'm like, well, that's great for you, but how are you doing on your comprehension, right? How are you, anybody take reading comprehension uh, when you're in school, right? And it didn't matter how fast you read through the passage. If you couldn't recall what you had read, it didn't matter, right? It was a waste of time. And I would say the same is true. If we just read over and over the same page and don't understand it, are we doing ourselves any favors? No, no. I've known people that have read the Bible for years and years and years, and I'll ask them, so what has God told you? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm great. You're, you've got discipline beyond something I could fathom, but you need to, to access the word of God in a way that you can understand. So when they were giving us different translations, um, what, what did translators have to balance? What did they have to balance? Well, they balance accuracy to the original text, clarity of meaning, dignity of style or consistent con continuity. Like for those of you who are teachers, have you ever read uh, a paper from a student that you knew clearly had somebody else write their paper? And teachers are like, yeah, somebody else wrote that paper. Right, so there's there's kind of this sense where we're trying to, to the dignity of style, meaning that they're trying to keep the the nuances of the authors uh, that originally wrote it, and then of course beauty of language, um, beauty of language, keeping it so that it's not um, weird or raw. So beauty of language. Um, so here's a question for us as we finish today. I'm just going to kind of gatling gun some some facts about scripture. Now that you know translations. Did we make that clear as mud? Do you guys know what translations you're going to use? All of them? Okay. Um, God has done a masterful job of preserving his scriptures and bringing to them to us today. And so we talked a little bit about who wrote the Bible. Let's talk about did they at that time know that they were writing the word of God? We want to make sure that we're not just taking old writings and making them religious and, and divine writings, right? We want to make sure that we're not just digging stuff out of the dirt and believing everything that it says. So we want to know, did they know they were writing God's word? One passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul told the Corinthians, he obviously knew he was writing God's word. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. I know a lot of us would like to tell that to our kids, but that's actually blasphemy. If you're saying that you're speaking for the Lord and you're not speaking for the Lord, that's blasphemy, right? It's, you're, not, you're not speaking the true word of the Lord. But Paul here had the confidence to say, hey, I'm speaking for the Lord with the level of authority that the Lord has. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and verse 12. To the married I give this charge, but I but uh, not I, but the Lord. And so here Paul is saying, it's not me, it's not a me thing. I hope you hear me say that all the time as I preach. This is not a shame thing. I'm gonna say really hard things from this pulpit. It's not because this is my opinion and it's not because this is how I want, want things to be. This is because this is what God says. I wanna be really careful about that as your pastor. Not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. That's 1 Corinthians 7. So he distinguishes that it was not his authority, but the Lord's authority. 1 Timothy 5.18, 5.18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves 
excuse me, his wages. And so here Paul is quoting two scriptures and he calls them both scriptures and he puts them on the same plane of authority. One of the scriptures is from the Old Testament and the other one is from Luke in the New Testament. So what is he saying? That the New Testament has the same gravitas or the same authority as the Old Testament. And then 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, Peter comes, uh, compares Paul's letters to the other scriptures, to the other scriptures. And uh, in the interest of time, I'll blaze over that one, but highlight that one, look it back up, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. All right, here we go. You guys got your seatbelt on? What does the scripture itself claim about itself? Okay, so what does the scripture say about itself? Number one, it says that it's inspired by God. We have those passages in 2 Timothy 3.16. It was God-breathed also in 2 Peter. We have that they're the very words of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Okay, so Paul here in the scriptures is saying that these were the very words of God, the teachings of the apostles. It's all we need to know God. It's all we need to know God. You don't need somebody else to tell you who God is. You have direct access to God himself through his word and in his scriptures. Um, so again, Luke 16, 29 says, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. This is um, a parable. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Uh, and so kind of this idea of this parable is that they have everything they need to know God, to know the truth, yet they chose not to believe and trust in God, okay? Let's keep going. It, tell, it says, the so scripture says about itself, it's a perfect guide for life in Proverbs. Um, I'm putting these up here just in the interest of time. I won't read all of these, uh, but it's, uh, I have the site, so... Um, you can look that up or take pictures if you need to of these. It says that it's true in Psalms 119, 160, in John 17, 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That was Jesus. Talking about how the scriptures themselves are true. They're trustworthy. We have that in Proverbs 35 through 6. They're perfect. And we know when we say that the word of God is inerrant, we're saying that the original teachings, the original writings of the apostles is what is inerrant. It's really important that we get that, right? Um, that it is the original documents or the writings of the apostles that we believe were inerrant. They were perfect. That's Psalms 19.7. They're effective. Isaiah 55.11 tells us how effective the word of God can be. It's powerful. Uh, it says herb there, but that's Hebrews. I'm really sorry about that. There is no herb in the Bible. That's Hebrews. It's not to be taken from or added to Deuteronomy 4.2, 12.32. Um, we also have that same thing in Romans, or sorry, not in Romans, in Revelation that says that this book should not be added to unless it is God himself or a movement of God himself. And it's for everyone. This is important. 
This is important, whether you're a reader or not a reader. I was not a reader, believe it or not. When I was in college, I hated reading. I would avoid reading at all costs until I started to grow in my relationship with God. And all of a sudden, it was like reading blew up for me. And I think it was something, it was kind of an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But it's for all people. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all of the nations. Are we the nations? Yeah, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And so is there anybody who cannot access the word of God? No, it it was written in such a way that everybody would be able to access God's word by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the standard, we talked about this canon, right? The measure of truth, the standard by which all teaching is to be tested. By the way, not our opinions, It's not to be tested by how good it makes you feel. How many of you love reading a book that makes you feel good? And you're like, that must be truth. Now, here's my second question. How many of you, your feelings have lied to you once before? Yeah, right? This is, we need the word of God to read us and to know us. It's the standard by which all teaching is to be tested. It's to be obeyed. We know the book of James is amazing when you talk about the obedience to the word of God. It was written to be obeyed. Here's some bonus ones. Ready? Sweet like honey. It says that the word of God is sweet like honey. It's a lamp to guide our life. It's food for the soul. Anybody hungry? I'm putting you to sleep. Anybody hungry? All right. It's a fire that purifies and a hammer that breaks us. It's a sword. I already showed that one. A seed for salvation planted in us, and it's milk that nourishes us. So scripture is like much of Christianity You either believe it all or none of it. There is no between. This book is either everything to us as believers. That means it is one of the highest priorities of our life, of our parenting, of our work life, of our learning life. It can change us from the inside out, but we ought not take this book lightly or for granted. Men have died, poured their blood so that we could have it. God has orchestrated history so that we could have it in such an amazing way. Let us be a people of the book, amen? Let's be a people of the book. I'm gonna pray for us and send us out. Uh, My hope for us in this, brothers and sisters, is that you wouldn't just hear this from me, but that you would go and find this out for yourself. Look up textual criticism. And uh, our very own, uh, if you, if you, the pastor before me, his name was Rex. Um, well, his son, Matt, I think has some of the best videos on the uh, source of the Bible. How did we get the Bible? What's the structure of the Bible? And so if you totally are like, Shane, I, have, I received nothing this morning, go look up his, his YouTube channel, The 10-Minute Bible Hour. It'll give you a great and even more in-depth because he has more than an hour to unpack how did we get the Bible and why can we rely on it? If this raised questions with you, would you come talk to me? Would you come talk to me about any questions that you have about the Bible, how we got it, and why we read it the way that we do? Next week, we're gonna spend a little time on how do we interpret Scripture rightly, okay? How do we interpret? What are some good rules for interpreting Scripture rightly according to Scripture itself? Guys, this has been Scripture. I want to send you out in Jesus' name to go and encounter him through his word. Lord Jesus, I do pray that. 
I pray that for my brothers and my sisters here. God, if we become a people who know and have direct access to you, God, I know that this can become an incredible community of people coming to faith. We know that when the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, God, you added to their number every day. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a church of the book and that we would look to your word in such a way to be transformed by it and that our community would be transformed by the truth because you tell us in your truth that the truth will set us free. God, I pray freedom right now over this church body. Let them be freed by your word and your truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, thank you for being here. Um, we got one more week in scripture and we're gonna jump into some other exciting aspects that God has given the church. Go in Jesus' name and thank you for being here.